folks. This is Jason from the High Route to intro episode five of our Gearshed podcast. In this episode, our gear experts over at the High Route, Gavin Hess and Slater Applin, chat gear with Jack Bagley, who lives in Boulder, Colorado. Some of you may know Jack from his piece, The Heavyweight Manifesto, from volume one of the TGR Journal. In this manifesto, Bagley writes, if pursuing speed records or running uphill in Lycra is what gets you out of bed in the morning, then you can disregard the words that I'm about to spray onto this page. But if you walk up mountains to enjoy the turns on the way down, listen up. The manifesto was written in 2020. It's safe to say that what you'll hear in this podcast is a tale of some weight weenies and Gavin and Slater and a heavy gear. It's all about the descents aficionado and Jack finding some common ground in the middle. I'll take a minute to interrupt the introduction to plug our reader-supported website, The High Route, where our simple mission is to cover human-powered turn-making in the backcountry. Listen up for the site address because we have hyphens in the name. It's the-high-route.com. Our podcasts are free, yet are not free to produce or host on a server. If you are enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting the site. That's it. On to the show with Gavin and Slater and Jack. All right, folks, here we are on the High Route podcast. We've got Jack Bagley uh, here today, famously the author of the the Heavyweight Manifesto quite a few years ago. Not so famously. <laughs> Thankfully, he's coming around to the, the light side, and that's kind of what we're here to talk about today. Uh, Jack, do you want to uh, introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about um, your history with backcountry skiing and and kind of what brought you both to writing the Heavyweight Manifesto, and then and then where you've come in the years since then. Yeah. Hey, um, my name's Jack. I'm a I'm a backcountry skier currently based in Colorado. Um, my connection to the folks at the High Route comes uh from i think kind of my tenure in jackson i met i met gavin uh when i crashed his date night um in the hot springs outside of town me and my buddies rolled up we all got naked and i think we uh we, we basically made that date night more or less a wash but um <laughs> we we've uh we've we've been buddies honestly uh both i've known slater since uh we were we were probably like 18 or 19 we both went to the university of colorado together um all of us for being, I, I consider friends and good friends. We, we haven't skied together a lot. And I think it kind of, it gets to the point of kind of maybe like what our objectives and the way we like approach going to the mountains were, I think particularly like when my, during my time in Jackson, I love getting out in the park and recreating on the pass and doing that stuff. But I was also like a total village rat. My background's in big mountain free ride and ski racing. And I think it, as, as a result, lends itself towards kind of a, a as I progressed in the backcountry, uh, being more in, initially more interested in jumping off rocks and skiing big lines and going fast. Um, and then as I kind of have grown older, I've grown more and more interested in, in kind of the uh, kind of explore more exploratory element of backcountry skiing. Um, like I, I really fell in love while, while I was in Jackson with, with kind of getting out in the park and skiing up high and kind of the opportunities that that would offer. Um, 
And during this period, I wrote an article <laughs> called The Heavyweight Manifesto, which where the thesis was that I think that, for, I mean, I, this is kind of targeted towards the, the average backcountry user. I, that I think for most backcountry skiers, they kind of over-index how far they think they're going to go um, and how light of gear they really need. And my thesis for this article was that really we, we go up to go down and that therefore it is, it is in the best interest of most backcountry skiers. And I say most as in there are caveats and there are exceptions. Um, but for most backcountry skiers, it is better to lean kind of towards the heavier side of the gear spectrum because ultimately like your enjoyment is such a, so much of your enjoyment is, is captured on the way down. Um, and I, as I get older and I, I sit around the fire with, Ken, with Slater more and we chat and I chat with Gavin a bit, I, I realize that, well, one person I've realized that I so much of the backcountry experience is spent going up. Um, and like so much of that enjoyment and that, that experience is going up. And then I've also realized as I get older, I ski a little less. I work in front of a desk that, uh, well, I, I think through the process of losing a little bit of fitness, I've realized that the ability to ski down in the way that I want to has a lot to do with what happened on the way up, you know? <laughs> Totally. I'm right there with you. <laughs> and uh, I think by shedding a few grams, I could ultimately enjoy my downhill experience more. Um, in addition, I've also maybe realized that I don't ski as hard as I once. I, I, I don't think I ever skied as hard as I thought I did in my head. But like now I really, I know, I know that for a fact that I do not. I, that's a good step of growing up. That's, we all come to that place. <laughs> yeah, right there with you. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. And I, so I'm, I'm coming to terms with the fact that I think I could probably get away with a little less. Um, so a few weeks ago I texted after being a heavyweight evangelist for so long, I texted uh, Slater and then got in touch with Gavin about um, coming on here and just ha kind of having this conversation. Right. This was prompted through like us say, uh, of us reaching out, talking about gear being like, what do you think about this? Like, what's your ideas on that in both directions? Yeah, totally. Um, and it's also, it's also funny because this conversation really kicked because I, I know that y'all had started this, this, this high route, Thing, but I, I was not a subscriber until I ran into Jason Albert on a particularly uphill oriented ski tour. I think I, I we walked from the pass to the village. It was a full day. And I think we made a grand total of like 30 ski turns. Um, <laughs> oh, and and, and I, I did it in a Vulcan and a, and a Corvus Freebird. And I think like there there is some irony to that. I think that, that just about anybody with, with half a brain would know that you didn't need a Vulcan and a Corvus Freebird to make that that day happen, um, <laughs> but um, there I was. Um, so yeah, I think that's my background. I think I've done enough yapping here. Um, I'd love to kind of kick it over to you guys. Yeah, that's so good. It's it's valuable, like 
hear your backstory. And I think why this conversation is worth like recording and, and putting online aside from us, just like petting our own ego is just yeah. is because we've known this all along when we've all been friends is that we're coming. We've looked at skiing from different perspectives yeah. where you've, you've had this downhill oriented perspective on skiing. Like what you said, like we go up to go down and then Gavin and I, yeah. we met a long time ago in, and we really built a friendship because we were almost more interested in up and we'd rip skins and we'd say, all right, let's get this over with. So we can start going up again <laughs> <laughs> where we love counting grams and we'd love cat like counting vert. Um, and that was, that was our perspective on skiing at the time is like, wow, this is badass. Like here's how many grams my ski is. And here's how little stuff I have in my backpack. Um, and then as time progressed, and for me personally, that learning lesson came with breaking a ton of lightweight gear. <laughs> and sort of like maxing out, I'm like, gosh, I'm like maxing out my day here. I like can't, it, it, it's like getting dark. It, you know, you can only ski so much yeah. of the day. How about let's try and have more fun skiing? And so we're like oh, coming yes. from skiing from it. At least I'll speak for myself where it's, it's my progression has been really being attracted toward this lightweight stuff to try and go fast and go far. And, and now I feel like I'm regressing more to center from the other direction where it's like lightweight moving towards center. And as I hear how you're <laughs> explaining, it's heavyweight moving towards center. And that's, yeah. I think, what's interesting in like an interesting narrative piece about us texting over this fall and and early into this winter is like, wow, look at us growing up, <laughs> you know, getting reasonable from two extremes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I look at like my 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 parents and I, it's interesting. Like you just see this in so many elements of life. Like where I think like. We all kind of just move towards the middle, whether it's like, um, and, and there's just so many kind of examples where this could exist. Um, and yeah, I no, I, I think it is. It's age, man. We're moving towards the middle. We're, we're we're becoming humbled, right? And we can just talk about it in our small microcosm of ski touring, where it resonates with like whoever's listening. Yeah. <laughs> as as we all get old and approach thirty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, we're approaching thirty, but I, yeah, thirty seems to be a big benchmark for for just kind of, at least in your kind of earlier years, you know, of like kind of starting That's to figure right. things out. And yeah, feeling like, and I think anybody of any age will tell you that you never have it figured out, but that it does feel like a lot of you do a lot of fucking up in your twenties, you know. And, on both ends of the ultra light and ultra heavy spectrum, you do a lot of fucking up. I'm you know? still doing it, Jack. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Gavin, I wanted to. I I saw a a, a picture on online of you on top of the Grand Teton in a ski helmet. Yeah. Um. Which which I, I would kind of blew my mind, man. Um. What's I've where I've been was, skiing like, in a what's ski your, helmet your th- because I figure if I'm gonna bring a helmet. <laughs> 
I might as well bring a helmet that might yeah. actually protect my head if I crash. Yeah. And given the low tide in the Tetons uh, a few weeks ago, and probably honestly still continuing, but especially a few weeks ago, the risk of like crashing and really hitting your head is was pretty high. So, yeah, ski helmet. <laughs> well, where, where are we at with this, boys? Are we still... Um, I remember we were sitting in France and I watched both of you pull the little liner off of your smart water bottles. I like watched this happen. Uh, and like one of you did it and then you're like, oh, that's a really good idea. I'm going to pull the little seal off of my smart water bottle to save like, save like a quarter of a gram. And I, I like me, I'm over there. I came to Sham with a fucking marker kingpin on some big fucking ski, and I'm you. I'm like, you were on the right side of the Chamonix setups because Slater broke his skis our first day skiing in Sham, and I was on like one seventy one zero G ninety fives, and was just supremely undergunned the whole trip. Oh man! And was like, what am I doing? We're like barely even skinning. Yeah, <laughs> we're just riding lifts. Totally. Why do I have aliens and. And 1200 gram skis that was like the beginning of the end for me oh really so you know it was the beginning of the end for me was yeah the scale that i like religiously measured or like weighed all of my kid on yeah it maxed out at 2000 grams and i mounted up a new pair of skis and i put it on my scale and it maxed out the scale i'm like Something must be broken. What's yeah. <laughs> Something's wrong. Was that recent? That was that was last year. <laughs> I got a pair of 115s and put like a 250 gram binding on it. And I put it on the scale and it was over 2000 grams. I'm like, something's wrong here. I don't, I don't know what's happening. And that, and it was like a big, it, it was like a big metaphorical moment. I had maxed out my scale. So as we approach the middle here, I think on either end of the spectrum, I'd love to know what you guys are skiing right now. Um, like da daily, daily driver, like kind of what's generally speaking, like on any given day, what are you taking out? Do you um, want to start Slater? Yeah, I, th this is interesting and this is all new and continuing to develop. I think what's been fun this season so far is that Gavin and I are in the yeah. same place. Like I moved up to the Tetons recently and we're in the same place and we have boots that are the same BSL. So we swip. It's sick. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. awesome. So we swip and swap skis all the time. And, and so with a lot of ski testing for the high route, we have quite a buffet of skis between us. But something that I have said to, like to Gavin recently is this, like, I think I'm done sampling skis because really, <laughs> because I have, Recently, what I mounted up at the beginning of the season, but I haven't skied until re until a few weeks ago because I wanted to wait for there to be enough snow for me to not ruin the skis, was I mounted up a pair of 184 forefront Hojis with a Dinafit radical toe and then a Cure Spitz race heel. Um, Whoa. And it's like, it's so fun. I generally gravitate towards like playful washout turns. Yeah, me too. 
fully cambered shape. I mean, fully rockered shape skis. I really like more center mounted. Um, and this is so fun. And the last ski day that I had on him was yesterday and it was like spongy settled fast pal. We were really laying over turns. I mean that Hoji just like, like leaning into edges and it was so, I just couldn't believe it because then the, like two days before it was like drier powder snow that you were able to kick up and get in your face and, and have a good time. <laughs> and so I'm like, wow, what? But it's heavy. Like if I, my three years ago self would have like scoffed at the ski, <laughs> it, it probably still, it probably is still under 2000 grams total. You think so? No, <laughs> really? No, dude. The ski that ski is no. a hair under two thousand grams. It's pretty close. And we're t- we're talking two skis here. As someone who doesn't like pinch grams, we're talking. We're. I mean, that ski is heavy. No shit. per ski. I mean, it, okay. Yeah, yeah. Per ski. yeah the, that that tracks. Yeah, yeah. It, it maybe um, it's like right around twenty one fifty yeah. or like under twenty two. Um, but. Man, that's such a fun yeah. ski! Wow. And what was what was the dis, the decision making between going with a with a radical toe, um, and pardon me, I'm maybe less of a of a of a gear aficionado than you you guys. But what what's just like the, a standard race toe? Uh, no, but the, yeah. the heel the heel you guys use. Oh, honestly, I never <laughs> that that heel I got just because I hadn't tried it before and was curious. Yeah. <clears throat> It's easier to turn than a plume. Okay. Has the same like advertised release value as something like uh, like release value 10 Trofeo heel or it, it's sort of, st- but it was different. So I just wanted to try it. And then the radical toes I just had laying around. So I, that's what so, I used. So I'm a recent ATK convert. I just got it pair i think r 13s or the the raider 13 yeah. or whatever and i was doing some reading and i was through like my research i decided to get a free ride spacer what do you what do you guys think about the free ride spacer as somebody who's maybe trying to shed grams here should i have purchased that free ride spacer um i mean like have you guys skied the space i've never skied one like like what is do you notice a marginal difference in the way that, that it performs and i mean if we're getting too granular here this atk came out with this this thing that you could basically it's like a traditional it's almost like functions as like an afd it takes out some of like the lateral play in the uh in the binding uh, for the folks listening at home if if, if that's that, that just went over your head but um do you guys use the atk have you guys ever skied the atk free red spacer yeah yeah, I've skied both the like add-on free ride spacers you can get that are like a little candy bar shaped okay. thing as yeah. well as um both on like the free raiders or raiders. Yeah. And then and then more recently I've been skiing a free ride spacer adjacent thing on Slatnar bindings. Okay. Um which is a new, Those new look binding. Sweet. Yeah, they're really sweet. Um but 
I think it's very ski and snow condition dependent. Okay. Like the first time I had a free ride spacer, I put it on a race binding. It was the candy bar thing. Yeah. I had like a race binding with a free ride spacer on a forefront renegade. Okay. And at the end of the day, I don't know that that made a difference really. Cause I was mostly skiing those in powder. Okay. But, um, more recently with that, with that, uh, Solus and Slatnar binding. I've mm. been really enjoying the free ride spacer skiing more f- like firm and variable snow. It seems to make a much bigger difference because you're like getting a lot more input and play where your boot and ski are like maybe moving it different <laughs> differently or like more uh sort of micro movements where I think in powder a lot of that just sort of goes away because you're just schmooing around. Totally. And so you think like for hard snow, you notice more of a difference. Can you like kind of expand a little more on like what you mean by like ski, like it, it feels ski dependent? Because that honestly, like I would have thought that the Renegade would have been a better choice to the free ride spacer than like a Solace. Right. And I would say that that is likely true if you were skiing the Renegade on firm snow. Okay. Um, but given like the days that I'm, I'm taking or something sure. like a renegade out, I guess that's more what I mean as far as ski dependent. Do you think that it would, a free ride spacer could like allow you to ski a lighter boot on a bigger ski? I don't think so. I think it's a different sensation and a little more nuanced where like, like I don't, in my experience anyways, the free ride spacer isn't like something that you're you're missing necessarily. But if you were to ski like one ski with it on, one ski with it out or not on, on firm snow, you might be like, oh yeah, I can tell that my like heel feels a little more like directly connected or like supported on the ski. But it's it's fairly subtle i would say like i don't i don't know if that is the differentiating factor between the sort of weight of a boot that will perform as you need it if that makes sense that's an interesting idea though what you touched on where you're like if i add a free ride spacer can i ski a lighter boot with and get the same ski performance and sort of zooming out a little bit on this and going on to sort of like chapter two of this conversation as I see it is like, all right, Jack's coming. He's sort of regressed to center from heavyweight. Gavin and Slater have regressed to center from lightweight. So now that we're in the middle, it's like, what are some lessons learned of ways that we can spend weight and do it appropriately? And I'd be really curious to hear like what you've learned from your side of like, where have you found that you've learned that like shedding weight in these ways has been productive for you. And and then for us, like I, I certainly have some, like I have a list of ways that I've found like, wow, these are good yeah. ways for me to spend weight. Like if I am going to carry weight, I want to carry it here and not there. Oh, I, I'd love to hear. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm more curious to hear what you have to say, but you want to so get I'll, into the weeds I'll, about this. I'll kind of, yeah, yeah, definitely. But I'll, I'll breeze through kind of some of my learnings. I think yeah. I've generally aligned with, uh, most of the backcountry community trying to be conscious about like, like how much food I'm bringing. Like, do I, do I need 
like a thousand liter milliliters of water? Do I, like, is this a, can I go with less? Can I go, do I need a little more? Like, is that going to enhance my experience? I probably would index probably a little closer towards like, I don't want it to suck. Right. So I will bring an extra bar and I might bring like 500 more mils of water. Well, my primary ski partner uh, or one of my primary ski partners is like almost never has water or enough water. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, and we all, we all know if you, yeah, I mean, we all ski with this guy and, but uh, yeah, he, he never has enough water, um, which I, I think is also, it's, it's also fine. Like he doesn't drink a lot of water and then he, but, but I'm kind of, again, like more on the, the side of like, I'd rather bring, I think I've brought a sandwich or a burrito to the top of every Teton summit I've stood on top of, right? Like awesome. a, like a big fucking, I brought like uh yeah. Until it like squishes in your backpack or and something. And do you save it until the top? Hell yeah, dude. All right, that's my first tip. If you eat it on the way, you don't have to carry it all the way to the top. <laughs> well, and you eat at the top and you're like, great, now I'm totally full and I'll be back in the car in <laughs> one and a half hours. <laughs> totally. Yeah, but it's about savoring. No, but I would say that I'm trying to be a little more conscious of that these days. Um, I think trying to shed weight on my pack, uh, and then like lighter snow tools, lighter crampon, lighter axe, that's, that's where I've, I mean, I've been willing to, um, to always shed weight on that feels like stuff on your back. That's equally as functional as, as the kind of the heavier stuff for the objective you're doing makes sense. Um, I think we can all agree on that. I think that's a good category. What you're talking yeah. about is there's this category of what stuff that I can save weight on that isn't going to compromise my downhill ski performance. Yeah. That's sort of like this header that I consider yeah. like, how can I save weight? And then save energy without sacrificing downhill ski performance. And you're talking about that in sort of like uh, in in good ways of thinking about things like what backpack do I have on? Do I have like a backpack made out of like waxed canvas or like or apocalypse equipment? Do I have a, a standard yeah. like nylon or Dyneema pack that is like under a thousand grams? where you could be saving the weight of a sandwich with just which backpack totally. you bring. And then if you go through and think about, all right, if my shovel is UIA rated, then it, it's like appropriately strong as defined by like a governing agency to be, to be adequate for like digging through avalanche debris. And the same thing goes with a probe and the same thing goes with like a fix kit and the jackets that you have and thinking critically about all these items, I think is a really effective way to save weight without even like getting into this lightweight versus heavyweight yeah. dichotomy of performance, yeah. you know, and you could easily save like a thousand to 2000 grams in this way by just like sifting through your backpack and, and, I fundamentally disagree with you as a, particularly as it pertains to like with avalanche gear, um, like a shovel and a probe. I think you should have the widest shovel you could put in your backpack and, and a, a probe that is like entirely contingent on, on the snowpack you live in. But I, I think that that's, that's like maybe I I'd love to, for my personal purposes, my, my own gain, I'd love to look, kind of learn more of your guys' thoughts on like, um, 
I, I, do you guys want to dive into it? That's an interesting piece. I honestly think the shovel, like if a shovel, there's a benchmark of a shovel being good enough. And then beyond that, I think what's more important than having like the widest shovel you have is having the shovel that you've practiced companion rescue totally. with I, more than five times this season. Like, have you brought your shovel out and looked at it and dug through like a plow bank this season? Cause like that's more effective than whatever shovel it is. In my opinion, if they're all UIA rated. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I didn't mention at the start, but I, I worked for BCA for a number of years. So we, we would do these sort of tests and I, I do know that like a shovel, if you, and if it has home mode capabilities, if it, is like if the blade the length of the extendable blade that all the width of the shovel that all significantly impacts the uh the length of a rescue and how much snow you can clear in a specific amount of time like that's been tested there are white papers on it um and like on a day-to-day basis that may not seem like it matters and it does to me it feels like like i could see how you could argue that that's a good spot to to like save some weight but like with the once in your life, hopefully never, um, that would ever like it really come into play. It would, it would just feel really fucking shitty to like, feel like you, like you had this dinky little shovel with a bunch of holes in it and the blade did hardly extended and it didn't have home mode. And, and it, you, you can like honestly look at yourself in a debrief and say like, I think that that's one area where I could improve, you know, in a, in a real rescue that would suck. Or like if you maybe opted for a shorter probe or like one that was, I mean, honestly, carbon probes are great. I think that if you could save weight there, that's awesome. But um, if you opted for a shorter probe in, in the name of weight savings, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. That's my two cents. But um, I I think, yeah, I, maybe, I, the thing is I got, I'm looking at my ultralight shovel I have over there. It's like literally sitting in the corner of my room and I will carry it at some point. In this, so I'm I'm clearly not like not as hardlined as I, I just made myself out to be. Um. <laughs> I I think there's also room for like the middle <laughs> for perhaps both a saying like okay I have a quiver of you know say for example I have like a 240 carbon probe that I carried for the first month of the season and then. 10 days ago, I switched to my aluminum yeah. 320 and I'll probably carry that through sometime in yeah. March when we stop having significant avalanche yeah. hazard. Um, but also on that note, my feeling on shovels is that in the last couple of years, there's been pretty significant improvement Totally, where like that, the BCA, what the dozer yeah. UL, yeah. I think it is. And then the black diamond um, transfer mm-hmm. LT are like good shovels with a decent, maybe not the biggest, but yeah. a, a decently large blade that are both light and robust in a way that maybe four or five years ago, like that shovel or a shovel like that wasn't available where you could get like a mammut that weighed similarly, but had a somewhat comically small blade yeah um or yeah the options were just more limited but i think that there has been like improvements in that world where especially those two are the kind of the two that come to mind as like lightweight 
really good, robust, and and like not size limited um, uh, shovels. But um, no, I. I, again, I you know it's interesting is this conversation continues to like meet at this point where we're like okay maybe there's a middle ground, and I came with this like really hardline stance, and then Slater kind of came on the other end of the like kind of a hardline stance, and then then Gavin was like <laughs> like maybe there's a there's a middle ground here guys, and I'm 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 realizing that I'm probably more aligned again with with what you had to say, Gavin. Um, okay, yeah. I, I would I would generally agree. I think that there's probably is a middle ground, especially with 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 avalanche shovels, and, and maybe like a more nuanced like kind of a way to approach you carry your probe. I think we could move on from How this. About do we want to talk about skins? Honestly, that's not something I'd consider. I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on this. I I've literally not given the weight of skins thought like once. That has not even like crossed my mind. So that's a that's probably the top of the list of no like shit. Things really? That don't compromise <laughs> downhill ski performance where you can really save weight on and it doesn't get into these areas of conversation like skins and clothes are sort of in th- that yeah. area for me. But skins are huge. Like the difference between the classic orange nylon BD skins and like a Pomoka Free Pro 2.0. Okay. You could save, yeah. Close you, to a pound. Yeah. On your feet. You could save 500 grams, which <laughs> is the difference between your two buckle boot and your four buckle boot. Maybe that makes me sound like a, a, a yeah, like, I, wow. I, I know, I, that's literally. Right, like your foot plus a two buckle boot <laughs> is equivalent to, and a nylon BD skin is your foot plus uh pomoka free pro and a four buckle boot. oh man i feel like a moron you do you do pay with durability on the free yeah. pros okay so right. the free pro but i'm just looking that up um it's less durable that's that's the one because it's yeah, thinner it's it's a little thinner i it's pink yeah oh that that skin's great though um yeah it's the hoji yeah, skin that thing's great uh, like, uh, no, no issues with that skin on my, my uh. and so thinking about that. And then furthermore, thinking about your tip and tail attachment, if you have time in the evening for some arts and crafts, you can like also save even more weight. So based you, off of like what tip and tail attachment, what you do have. you, what do you run it? Like, I like to sew my tip attachment onto my ski is my preferred skin and onto my skin <laughs> is my preferred <laughs> Because Pomoka skins, I've had it happen <clears throat> where if you keep your skis on and you you transition by ripping your skins with your skis on. Yeah. I've had it happen with the Pomokas where the tip clip will flick off and to yeah. the powder and you might lose it. Yeah. But if you just sew it on, you save weight and uh, and it's more durable. Well, yeah. I mean, Pomoka makes a great skin, but I think we can all agree that the uh, tip and tail clip on those things leave a little something to be desired. Um, so What's that's, better than though? It's like, it's the best uh, that that's exists. That's the thing, man. I, is, I yeah, like I, the ski trap tip attachments. I wrote a post about it um, probably in like October, but ski trap makes, it's like a little clip almost. And it allows you to tip rip without modifying your skis as well as it's it's a quite narrow attachment so you can do a better like taper on your skin um and that's what i rock on 
essentially like once I commit to a pair of skis, I make a pair of skins with ski trab tips. <laughs> cool. I I've never, uh, yeah, again, I'm, I'm maybe less into the gear verse than you are. Or I'm looking at, that's really sick. I, uh, okay. This is okay. That's not even something I consider. I'm, I'm so far I'm learning shit. Um, I think next up would be, I think we could talk about skis last. You want to talk about bindings? I absolutely, that's exactly what I was, I was going to propose we talk about. I want to get your opinion on this. I've been skiing a marker alpinist for the last few years. I broke it, which is why I'm on that ATKA binding now. Um, it's, right. It's, How, how'd you break it? I was, um, I, I, like I think I just cycled the uh, lockout mechanism too many times, and I just I like I went to lock it out, and it went all the way through the lockout, and it was like fully just spinning, like it like the plastic <laughs> broke. Um, I mean, yeah. just kind of a classic marker issue, unfortunately. Just that binding is a lot of plastic. On a it. lot of plastic, but it's a sweet. Actually, I, it it skis, in my opinion, noticeably better than other tech bindings I've skied at a at a really nice weight. Um, and I've, I've heard that attributed to the plastic. Yeah. I, I probably like, it's more, it's more damp because yeah, it has it is more sub- flex, substantially more damp than, than other bindings. I I've, and like, you really can tell and it's in a way that I was surprised to find out. Um, I, I think we, I mean, I, I, given the fact that I've been skiing in Alpes for years, I think we're probably more or less aligned than that. I would love a recommendation of I'm not in love with the trophies. Uh, the fact that you have to, to transition from flat to like like uh, like uh, what like your heel riser, your uphill mode. I don't like they have to like lean down and grab it. Um, is there a binding that you feel like it hits a lot of the like kind of uh, hits a lot of the things why you'd want a trofeo that kind of is like maybe has either two. I love a binding that has two risers that isn't. Is about like the same weight as the Trofeo. That's another thing I didn't like about the Alpinus is it only had one riser. And then it, it it didn't like once you were touring, like you didn't have to like turn the binding. Um, is there anything even like comparable to that or like the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the ATK um, Hout Root. Okay. And that is, I think it's 200 grams uh. with the adjustment plate. So it's 20 grams heavier yeah. for the heel piece. Which is, you know, that's nothing. Um, but that gives you that gives you the ability to you can rotate it 180, and then have flat and maybe just one riser. Yeah, honestly, one riser is fine, but the 180 rotation, yeah, is really and you I get mean. that nice. You can go from flat to one riser without bending down, and yeah, and, and turning the heel piece. You know, you can also go from flat to one riser with like a few yoga classes and, and a little bit more flexibility. (laughs) (laughs) So it's up to you. And and then you save some weight too. Yeah. So, um, on the, do you guys both ski the trofeo? I mean, like how often do you find yourself like once a day? Like we're in the T we're in the Tetons, dude. That's yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, yeah, you go, you go flat on the approach and then when you're going uphill you go you turn your heel piece once and then you lap the 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 trofeo i will admit to a having never skied the trofeo 
but but also yeah. having to help various friends attempt to spin their trophies when they get a little ice in them. Um, oh yeah, I've seen the that ski too. trab, Gara Titan, or the Kurtzbits, the Kurtzbits, Kurtzbits. I'm not going to even pretend that I know how to say that. And so, yeah, those are the two that come to mind as far as like simple race bindings that are a little easier to turn. And with the ski trab, I have not had any issues like with lateral release being lower necessarily. Um, but they're just a smoother mechanism in the heel because the ATKs can be kind of hard to turn. And the plume is the hardest. And the plumes can be really hard okay. to turn too. Yeah. All right. So um, I think, I mean, Sl- Slater, do you ski the trofeo? Yeah. And did you find when you were in the San Juans or like when you would tour – like throughout Colorado, do you think, like, do you find yourself like leaning down and deal with that a little more? Yeah. When I was living in the San Juans, I probably wouldn't turn my, I don't know if I turned my heel the entire season. I would flick my, I would flick the flap over the race pins and start touring. Oh yeah. Because there is no flat approaching. You just go, you just start going up. And so you just stay in the first riser. And then when you get to the top of the hill, you flick the flap and stomp on the heel. And now you're in ski mode. And, and I've, I've used flat mode more this season already in Wyoming than like all seasons combined. Maybe. I don't know if that's too dramatic. Yeah. I think that this, this is almost a segue, even if we're not quite done talking about bindings, this is a good segue into boots because ah. having higher range of motion in your boots makes a significant difference as far as like my sensitivity to heel risers. Like if I'm skiing my zero G tour pros yeah. with a race binding, I'm sort of like, Oh man, like my riser's not high enough or I want to be flat more or sort of like more nuanced ah. opinions. Whereas if I'm skiing like a uh, zero G peak or Dinafit DNA or something, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is totally fine because I just like move my ankle more. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have skied more boots than I have. What do you guys think is like the skiers lightweight boot? We've, we've both converged to mostly skiing like a 1300 gram, what we've been calling two plus buckle boot. So I've been skiing quite a bit on the, um, atomic backland XTD this that winter. That thing looks badass, man. I, I, yeah. And Slater's been skiing on the Transalp Pro Carbon. Yeah. Really similar. They both ski really well. Yeah. And I've been really impressed with the with the backland uh, XTD in particular. Like it walks almost as well as my Zero G Peak. Yeah. But it skis like significantly better. It feels a lot more kind of adjacent to a real kind of a real ski boot rather than being like, Oh, this skis well for a thousand gram boot. It's like you can really like flex into it. And, uh, and it feels like it has at least some amount of, of that dampness that you're kind of looking for with a, with, with a real boot. As a dude with a fat foot, um, that, uh, it does like, 
just the, the way that atomic you can mold the shell a lot easier and you could kind of tweak you're, the shell a bit, you're entering right? a golden age of touring boots for for fat-footed people yeah. you should look at the dinafit radical if you're a fat foot guy that's two plus buckle curious fat in the wrong places for the radical unfortunately i'd be skiing the radical right now if that was if that boot fit my foot better this is zooming out a little this is actually good to talk about so we've sort of sifted through the like yeah not skis boots bindings we've gone from the bindings and now the boots in my opinion is sort of this place where you can have that is the most gear specific where you yeah. can't like one boot versus the other does make a dramatic difference yeah. and once you move past like what you're talking about fat foot versus narrow foot stuff of finding a, a shell that fits your foot shape yeah. there are some boots that do perform significantly better for the same weight compared to other boots. So we're talking about like the Backland XTD and, and the Fisher Transalp yeah. Carbon. Um, and those, yeah, I, I seem to be skiing that Fisher boot most guys, days and my Zero-G Pro Tours are getting dusty as a four buckle boot. What size is your Zero-G Pro Tour? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, I, have, um, I have a dusty 28.5. I'm a, I'm a 26. Um <laughs> But there are some boots that I've always been curious, like a boot that I'm really, I'd love to try and ski that you mentioned earlier, seem to have been this boot that struck that balance of uphill versus downhill performance so well for so yeah. long and had built this lore around it was the Dinafit Vulcan. Yeah. Right? You like that? I I mean, yeah, until I put on a like a, a thousand gram dancing shoe, I thought that thing walked great. Uh, and then now I feel a little differently about it, but man, that boot kicks ass. I, I really, everyone seems to say that. Should I just hoard that boot? If I really like that boot, should I just hoard it? Um, (laughs) I think here's a good question. Yeah. Are you looking for a new day to day boot or are you looking for a like special occasions ultra light boot? I, Gavin, I live in Colorado and I bought a Dina fit tiger and I'm, I'm overboot like 99% of the time. Uh, <laughs> so I think in an ideal world, it'd be a special occasions boot. And given the way that I go ski touring, it's probably more close to like the boot I ski every day. Um, and I think because I have a tie guard and unless I sell it, I will continue to have a tie guard. I'd love a recommendation on the best skiing, like a thousand gram boot. If you guys have had like been able to fuck around, I think we can all agree that that like 1300 gram is probably the sweet spot, right? But yeah, like if I were, and there is a distinctly different category. That's like 12 to a thousand. Yeah. Okay. There's the two plus and then there's the two buckle boot. The two bus is, how would you define plus? The two plus is like the Backland XTD XTD or it's the Fisher Transalp Carbon or it's the like Dinafit Radical. It's sort of 13 ish. Yeah. yeah. hundred grams where it's like the same weight as a lightweight four buckle boot. But it has better range of motion. Yeah, that sounds badass. All right. Well, we can all agree that that. that but like, if if I were to go the other direction for like more adventurous tours, what have you guys given? Kind of what I'm looking for. What do you think like the best skiers? Um, like kind of thousand gram boot is like. Have you guys skied enough of these boots to kind of like give me some thoughts on that? If it fits the. The zero G peak seems to have, I think like an easier transition 
period almost because it's less like rigid than a lot of the other yeah. thousand gram boots where like Slater and I often reference the alien RS is like the boot that like ruined our skiing for a few years. Cause it was so rigid that we both like adopted this like upright, like don't lean forward, like don't get in the front of the boot or the back of the boot because you'll, you'll just yeah. get like tossed around sort of. Um, and, and with the peak, I have not experienced uh, that where you like, it, it is more progressive than other thousand gram boots. The Solomon boot is another one that, that I think sweet. it's like quite stiff relative for it to its, to its weight. Um, in, in what seems yeah. like a good way. I'm really curious about the, I guess the Ridge is like 1,200 I, grams. Yeah, the Dina Fit's coming out with the yeah. Ridge I'm this hoping year. I'm to get my hands on a pair of the, the Ridge boot. That thing looks yeah, cool. that seems that seems like it could be a really good... There's too much going on with the Ridge, man. I I, uh, I think that's my official like kind of looking at the ESPO right up. There's like a like the tongue like really undulates and there's a boa and it's a hoji masterpiece it's a really it could be a hoji masterpiece i, I i'd love <laughs> to see him. yeah i'm sure he's been beating the shit out of it so i um, mean that guy talk about a guy who actually skis i doubt he's skiing it honestly there's videos <laughs> on instagram of little pov videos of him flying up pillows in the ridge boot uh yeah uh, yeah Okay, so if you like few thousand <laughs> gram boots, if it fits your foot, the peak or the peak carbon seems like yeah. a good idea. And the peak, the peak is wider at a, in a given shell size, like it fits wider and higher volume than yeah. the the normal zero G, which could be good for you. One thing I think that people discount is is how fit impacts ski performance. And so I think a lot of people are like, that boot doesn't ski that well. And like I, I was the one to kick this conversation off and I'm just kind of thinking about this, about like if how much you contact you have with the front of the boot dramatically impacts how it's going to ski. Yeah. Right. And if the fit, like if the fit is sloppy or it's too tight, like you're not going to be able to ski that well in the boot. And like, I think if you were to take five, like of the best thousand gram boots, I think there's some ones that are going to ski really poorly. Right. But like, I'd say by and large, the boot that's going to ski the best, especially in that category, I think is the one that like, where you have the most contact with, with the cuff since the cuff is going to be shorter. Right. Don't you think? I mean, that's, I, that's wise. But, I think that's a really, really sharp assessment in that. Yeah. The difference between all these boots is small compared to the difference between all these foot shapes. Yeah. To where and, if you find the boot that works best for your foot shape, then that will, that'll ski better as opposed I, to counting grams and, and that that's what what attracted me. I'm I have like the backland carbon, the atomic backland carbon right now, and it's had you're able to get a lot of boot work done on it. Like you can work yeah. on the shell and and uh, and it has a really good liner, and it's been designed for boot fitting, which I think is like a valuable. It sort of touches on what you're referencing. I mean it's. Especially in that category, you know, if you're going to spend 10 hours in your boots. But you'll see that in race boots or in alpine boots too. You'll see like two people who weigh about the same, who ski about the same, and one one person's folding the boot over, right? And they're like, that boot's so soft. I'm like, ah. And the other person's like, I think it's fine. 
like a lot of people think, and it largely I think has to do with the amount of contact with you at the front of the boot. And in the, in the thousand gram boot world, like that has changed so dramatically just in the last four or five years where, yes, yeah, uh-huh. five years ago, I think the alien RS came out and everyone was like, this is the boot. Like there's nothing else like it. And now there are, yeah, I don't know, five or six options. I saw Gavin put his alien RSs on Facebook marketplace. Uh, he's, he's done yeah. with them. <laughs> I think I ended up having to give them away. They were, <laughs> but um, I think as far as like, I think I'm going to try the peak on then. Um, see how that goes. I think maybe the peak. If I could sell my tie guard, I might land with like a 1300 gram boot. But this has given me some good thoughts, some good fuel. Um, I tried that. Slater's been really pushing me towards the uh, F1 XT. Uh, it fit. It fit well. I, I think I might maybe try and ski it. I don't know. Like hit up my buddies at Scarpa and see if I can go ski it. But um, I I do think that uh, like one thing that we as someone who's never skied a light boot, what do you guys think about? There's like kind of a lot of literature about whether or not you should ski a light boot with like a wide ski and like maybe how you'd approach that. I um, think that depends a lot on the ski. Yeah. Um, and the Hoji um, kind of coming around to that conversation. Yeah. Um, is a really good example of a ski that p- pairs really well with a light boot because it plays so well with a more centered stance. And so these like more progressive and often reverse cambered skis, especially um, get along really well with a lighter boot because if you're on like a oh interesting a super directional ski that you need like all this t- sort of tip pressure like being in the yeah, fronts of your boots all the time to like make that ski work it probably won't play nicely at least as nicely with that that lightweight boot just because um it's it's yeah it's it's better to ski those lighter boots with a at least slightly more centered stance that's what i found anyways that's wow that's that's really that's kind of opened it up so something like the pink ski is not very two buckle boot i love that thing but i would i would easily swap that out for a hoji or a a raven or something that like like similar yeah i mean a, a renegade on the other hand is a joy to ski like i've skied a renegade with my dinafit dnas which are like a 900 gram carbon boot and it's soup it's not ideal but it's super fun wow and i really am totally like happy skiing my zero g peaks essentially like as happy skiing peaks as normal zero g's with the renegade this is yeah. This is getting me psyched. I'm thinking about this, and I'm, I'm getting psyched here. Okay, so I've got the I've got Pinksky. I got the what do they call that one? Like that's the Corvus Freebird. If what would be a nice ultralight complement to that? I'm I'm I think Camox seems sweet. Um, I like between the Navis and the Camox, that'd be a good option. But I feel like zooming out from this just yeah, to oh, sort sorry. of turn the sorry, chapter yeah, on zoom out, narratively zoom out. speaking. I don't get ahead of things. No, this is yeah. good. I think it's happening in like a pretty natural way, but it's sort of zooming yeah. out to get like the general me coming in here as narrator in, yeah. in some sense is like, all right, we talked about not boot skis bindings. 
that's a really effective way to save weight. Then you can go into bindings and say plus or minus like a race binding works really well with saving weight unless yeah. you're like jumping off of things. And then if you're jumping off things, think about something else. Boots is something that like boot fit is more important than plus or minus like 100, 200 grams. But there are these yeah. distinct categories of thinking of how you can like what kind of skiing you're trying to do. And then what Gavin was mentioning of like the ski shape that you have really impacts what you can get away with, with boots, progressive skis. You can get yeah. away with a lighter boot because it's a more centered stance and you have less forward pressure. And now skis. And as we were sort of chatting about this today, Gavin and I, like when we were earlier is, is that you don't really, you can't like, cheat it as much physics are like more confined as I've found as my experience found with skis is like, like you add weight, you get like more dampness and, and like more stability with the ski and like you can change the shape to change that equation of uphill versus downhill performance. But, <clears throat> and like really asking yourself what you want out of skiing and what your skiing style is. Like, are you someone that likes to initiate a turn and, and do the whole traditional skiing thing <laughs> with, you know, like a pink <laughs> ski is great for that. Yeah. <laughs> are you more of a slarver? Is are you a slarver? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you do like a one twelve RP I yeah. skied on, which was super fun and, and like playful, like hippie turn dad ski where you can slash around or you do the OG, which is like, feels like a totally different style of skiing compared to like a, a pink ski equivalent. And, but as I see it in a macroscopic way, like this is where I want to spend weight. I'm saving weight in my backpack of all these things that I have in my backpack. I'm saving weight with my like layers and my bindings and my skins so I can spend weight a little bit on boots and preferably on skis. And that's what I'm joking yeah. about with the Hoji, like the Hoji's heavy ski, but it's equivalent to a lot of other things. Cause I've saved it's equivalent to a lot of other setups with being conscious of like skins and bindings and what's in my bag. So I, I, I see the value in spending weight on a heavier ski. That's my personal perspective on things. And what I'm kind of, learning through this conversation and kind of as I kind of wrap my my head around things I would prop if a boot walks as well as it a thousand gram boot I'm willing to have it be a little heavier you know if it walks really really well like I I think like you 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 gain two things when you go with a lightweight boot you gain obviously like the weight savings but really you're also getting a boot that just walks really well range of um, motion range, range of motion. ease of motion range of ease of motion and I'm I'm coming to grips with the fact that that is probably more valuable to me than I thought it was like an hour ago. Um, <laughs> that's so, where this two buckle boot, yeah. that's where this two plus buckle boot category is, is pretty exciting because it does yeah. what you're saying is it's like heavier than a two buckle boot, but you get the range of and ease of motion of a two yeah. buckle boot. It's not equivalent, but it's a middle ground. It's not quite four buckles in terms of like limited range of motion and ease of motion. But and so you get a little bit of both, like what you're mentioning. Yeah, uh, I guess that means I'm selling the tie guard. If anybody out there listening to this wants a Dinafit tie guard boot, 
I'll sell it to you for a really nice price. Uh, you can find me on the internet. Thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, I think I'm, I'm probably a, a 1300 gram walks really well boot kind of guy. Um, totally. But, and there are a lot of good options. It, yeah. Two plus buckle boot. I should add at the, to use yeah, the yeah. nomenclature. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, we haven't talked about like the, the Sportiva Scorpius. Yeah. I mean, that, that boot's just the lightest boot with the tallest cuff, right? Like that's the, like, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, which I think would indicate that it probably skis. Right. I don't know if that's the right boot for your fat foot. Yeah. What do you guys think about the Scorpius? People are raving about it. I haven't skied um, it. The Vanguard is their like next one up. The Sportiva, it's a little bit heavier. It's sort of like on the top end of like yeah. the two plus buckle boot category. Yeah. Isn't it a four buckle boot? <laughs> I don't know. It's it seems of- like a zero G competitor to me. Hmm. But again, I haven't skied it. That's just like looking at it. And I know Jed has skied yeah, it. But it's quite in the two plus buckle boot category given the weight and how it walks, right? No. <laughs> um, yeah, it's their Sportiva's coming out with a new kilo boot they're calling the kilo and then like a race plus boot next year that look interesting so what else what do we have here like how are we feeling after we've done the whole gear dump i want a ski recommendation i've never skied a touring ski that was like under 100 underfoot um i'd love i'd love your thoughts uh the camex seems sweet but it's a, it's fucking expensive man uh, Which one? The, the red ski. Black Coast. Oh. Yeah. Um, it, all, all the Black Coast skis have gotten really expensive over the years even. What about it, like a, a Fisher Transalp 105 or Zero G 105? Yeah. Um, something along those lines. I have the pig ski and I'm really satisfied with it. Yeah, but, uh, but you could go you could go shorter. And you'd you'd lose, say, four hundred grams per ski for the zero G for the zero G, or you know, three hundred some odd grams for something like a Navis or a or a, a Fisher one hundred and five. So you think get, there's enough of a difference between the Navis and the uh, the Corvus to like warrant? I think both. they're significantly different like characters. Like the the Navis is yeah. like. And all, really, all three of those that that I mentioned are like a, a significantly less demanding, yeah, skis. And then if you went shorter with them too, I think you'd probably have so like a really like a- different experience. Say like skiing a steep couloir on a, uh, I don't I don't know what you're blue. skiing the green or sorry the pink Corvus's. Yeah, I skied lengthwise. I skied this the southeast couloir. Uh, on a thin year with the Southeast Kalar in the South on a thin year with the 188 Corvus. And I just remember just like every jump turn, I was like tip, tip to tail, tip to tail. I was like, I got to get a shorter ski. For it. Yeah. Like if you were doing that on a, say a 178 yeah. or G105. Okay. Yeah. You would be like, you know, way more psyched. And I even, I think we're yeah. probably fairly similar sizes and I, I ski the zero G one Oh five often. I have it in a 
180 and a okay. 172. And I love the 172. It's just so maneuverable okay. and snappy. Obviously a different speed yeah. limit than a 188. Um, but that's not really what I'm going for when I'm skiing that. That's interesting as like kind of a, someone with a resort pedigree, like thinking about getting a ski that's 105 and a 109 seems kind of silly. Like there's just like too much of a Venn diagram, but truly they are different skis. Like in like the way you approach it. And honestly, like I do like a wider ski. That's kind of opening my thoughts up here. Like that is, that is interesting. Um, what are you guys' opinion on? I've, I've been researching kind of like getting in like a Kessley, that that whatever their tx 93 or you guys know anybody who skied that or kind of have any thoughts there they have a really short turning radius or not a really short but a relatively short turning radius yeah um and i've seen quite a few broken ones over (laughs) the years (laughs) (laughs) we don't Um, want that but looking for a longer radius with the idea of skiing on steeper, firmer snow yeah, uh, is worthwhile because it'll feel a lot less hooky. Like the Solus is sort of the like far extreme of that with like a 25 meter radius. Yeah. But the idea does stand and has held true in my experience that making steep jump turns where you're sort of sliding between the turns. Yeah a shorter radius wants to like pull you across the fall line where you might not want that. Okay. Um, so I, yeah, they don't seem like an ideal steep skiing oriented kind of model. Oh, okay. It's like a corn ski oriented model. Yeah. Well, or just like a general Euro ski. uh, Wow. You're really, you're really kind of, so you think for a steep, like, all right, I think I'm gonna do. I'm doing Navis then. Um, I've always as any consolation, the yeah. green the green ski with a two buckle boot is maybe the most fun that I have skiing. More than the Hoji? Yeah. As of right now, yeah. Don't do me like that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do me like that, man. Hoji's. I yeah, I'll go on the record saying I think the Hoji is one of the best skis ever made. The green um, the green ski is on like the same echelon of performance for me, and and then the zero G one hundred and five is just like a different category of yeah. yeah. I mean, but and you guys don't think like if I find myself I live in Colorado and I end up walking up up the resort a lot and like a it'd be nice to have a ski that was steep like for, for steep skiing but then also like i could like it was light enough to just like really want to tool around at the resort and or like like do uphill laps at the resort you don't think like a 95 would you think i'd really be losing a lot of ski performance if i like went like a a narrower route or um you guys are keep pushing me towards a wider ski. i think shorter and wider is better than more narrow and longer that's exactly what i've been i Especially was about to say the same if thing you're gonna ski a ski with a speed limit that's okay I'm, I'm tracking now that makes a lot of sense um, that's cool. Uh, I'm, I'm just processing that. That's, that makes a lot of sense. To me. I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I see the gears turning. <laughs> um, this is good. We sort of filtered through all the things we've, yeah. we've chatted about like where we were, where we've been, where we're at now and to sort of brainstorm a bit on gear and, yeah. and like, if this can be an open-ended conversation, not only between us, like let's keep chatting yeah. and 
hearing like what your experience is on whatever this next step is. And, and like, we'll share the same from our end. And if like folks, whoever are listening to this too, of course, this isn't like a singular, yeah. this is, there isn't a right answer here, but if, if we can all crowdsource opinions, that'd be pretty interesting be, to hear like where people have come from and lessons learned on where they're going. And like, if someone has a super lightweight plastic water bottle that they want to send a URL to, yeah, I'm also open to that. <laughs> and if someone wants to buy Jack's tiger. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this has been a really insightful conversation. It's, it's always good to chat with you boys. Let's, let's make sure we, Oh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, we wish we could have done it in person. Yeah. Um, when uh, I'll I'll be up in the Tetons in a few weeks, I'll I'll give you guys a holler. We'll yeah. be here. Uh, once once you get on the lightweight train, then we'll all be able to go skiing together. No, well, I I still think I I think it'll really <laughs> cut my excuses out, and I'll really I'll have to really face myself. You know that maybe I'm. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> I have to really look myself in the mirror that I'm still, I cut like 500 grams out of my ski setup, a thousand grams that I'm still as slow as, as shit getting dropped by all my buddies. You know, that's, that's a really, it'll have to be a really honest place for myself. But, um, I, I think my friends all, if, if they listen to this, like, this is funny because I'm like so indecisive and anytime I buy, I like, I read a ton about gear. I, I look at a lot of the stuff, but for some reason I still like have to consult like everybody I know before I, I like go buy something and like, so of course I had to That's like, good. You're finding a middle I had to like That's the theme of this conversation. Like finagle myself into going on a podcast so I could continue to have this conversation where I waffle and, <laughs> and deliver, like deliver about what I'm going to get. But I, I feel, I feel more, more clarity than I did an hour ago. So that's good. Um, that's, that's sort of mission accomplished. Yeah. I think mission accomplished. <laughs> I, uh, I think I'll still probably be a little heavier, uh, you know, and with a few more snacks and I'll, I'll share with you guys, you know, I'll, I'll have the, the banana bread and the, and the big burrito. I typically and, run out of snacks, so I'll hold you to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll be there. Like you'll have to wait for me because I'll be way the fuck behind you. But I, when you, when I finally get to the top, I'll have a big burrito. And you get a bunch nice. <laughs> yeah. Jack, thanks for chatting. Yeah. It was really yeah, good time yeah. spent. Appreciate your time, Jack. Absolutely. listening to the high route gear shed podcast for the time being if you have questions for us about the gear mentioned on this episode feel free to send an email to gavin at gavin at the don't forget those hyphens in that email address uh, speaking of hyphens you can also support us at the as well thanks that you brought back that you brought back from the seventh dimension